Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that is titled Salivary Cortisol, Equine Characteristics and Management Factors Associated with Strongile Type Egg Shedding of Ohio Horses. This is by D.L. Keating, J.S. Lehman and S.V. Burke. And it is a 2020 paper which took a sample size of 200 horses and wanted to identify the factors associated with parasite infection. The idea is if we can identify those factors, maybe we can reduce the frequency of how often we're having to use anthelmintic is the scientific name for horse warmer. And this is particularly important because currently there is resistance or reduced activity noted for all commercially available anthelmintic classes. Um, so any wormers that we're getting that we're able to buy, we've got some resistance there. They're not able to treat all worms that are present. Using the wormers incorrectly then is going to lead to this issue becoming exasperated um, and particularly in years to come. So this paper in particular was quite interesting. And Nancy, you've got a bit more background in this in that you run your own fecal egg counts. Yep, I started uh, doing the fecal egg counts because I like to do pre-worming to see what I'm dealing with. And then I do a two-week post-worming fecal egg count. And they're so easy to do at home. You need a, a very minimal microscope. It's 10 times in power. And then um, Epsom salts with water. And I do a half cup of Epsom salts with uh, 16 ounces of water. And that should be enough to do 16 fecal egg counts. So, um, you know, it's relatively inexpensive. Um, you, there's uh, work with your vet. I, my vet was able to um, kind of, uh, he did one and then I did one on my own and then we could compare results and we both got the same results. So that was good. Um, the other thing is get a McMaster slide because that method, it's so much easier to do your counting. And then depending on your amount of liquid solution, like I use 28 mil, so I have to take my result times 50. So that amount is always based on your amount of uh, liquid that you're using to float those eggs to the top. So I, I don't mind doing it. Um, I use a coffee filter instead of cheesecloth. And uh, the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the quicker you are. I think the first time I did it, it took me like two hours to do five. <laughs> it was like a recipe book. I kept following mm -hmm. the directions. And there's plenty of good videos from universities to watch. However, you really only learn by doing. At least that's 
how I learned. So um, the more I did, the better I became at it. And the more efficient I was at getting those air bubbles out because those air bubbles are usually completely round, but you learn to decipher those from maybe a roundworm or something. And boy, you can really pick out your strongyles. And I even had a tapeworm one time in one of the samples. So they look like the letter D. So you just learn by doing, and I'd highly recommend anybody that kind of is interested in it, save money and boy, you'll have a good picture of the parasite amounts in your horses. And it is something that becomes like, as Nancy said, easier, the more you do it. It sounds very convoluted, but, um, you can look it up on YouTube. It's really straightforward. The Mac Master's slide is really useful because it actually has lines on it. So when you look at it under the microscope, it has little grids and it's easier to count. But um, I was surprised that you were saying it's expensive in the US to have these done because I know there's places in the UK that would charge. I mean, obviously it depends on the area, but probably about 10 pounds. But then if you have a lot of horses, I mean, it is still a lot of money for bigger yards that maybe have 20, 30, 40 horses, you know, that's 400 pounds on these being run. And if you're going to do them pre-worming, post-worming twice a year, you know, my math is very slow. So I'm going to just drag <laughs> this out a little bit. Uh, 1600 if you had 40 horses. Yeah. So <laughs> it goes well, very quickly. And we even have services that you can... Uh, put manure in and mail it off and all that. But you know what? Um, it's best if you use manure that's fresh. And uh, if you do get some out of your barn and you can't do the sample right away, you do have to refrigerate it. And then some of those mail-in tests are anywhere from $25 to $50. So um, you really have to... Uh, you know, consider in, in the postal service, if it gets hung up somewhere, is that sample going to be as accurate as what you're depending on it to be? So uh, it's no big deal to do them or let your vet do them and, um, you know, just have a routine with it. Because this was really interesting about all the variables that they came across that make a difference in um, some of the fecal egg counts that they came back with. And this, these were all from one gram of um, fecal matter. So um, one thing that amazed me was that if you mowed your pasture once a week during the summer, during the, the biggest growth season for your pasture, um, you were less likely for your horse to have an above 50 fecal egg count. And so that's encouraging that that disruption and disrupting the um, grass and taking the, the tips off because those strongyles can crawl up the leaf of the grass. They can also crawl down. They can bury themselves into the soil. So um, I think the one thing that would concern me the most are those small strongyles that can become 
encysted in the horse tissue and they can remain in there for a long time and then that causes real problems for the horse so ideally you want to be able to um, take care of that before they can become encysted and the problem as well with the encysted cyathosomes that we see um, occasionally but I know the last maybe two years ago we saw more cases of this is they can actually migrate at once. So they lie dormant within the tissues for any kind of period of time, but they can migrate at once and it tends to happen during the spring. And in a case where we have a large migration of them out of the tissues into the gut, we see a mortality rate of about 50% in horses. So they are really deadly. Um, at the moment, the drug we have that treats them is moxidectin. Um, it's one of the only ones I'm pretty sure that will treat insisted um, cyathosomes. So again, one we have to be really careful that we're not using incorrectly and causing resistance with because that is our kind of go-to at the moment. Careful, like talk to your vet in what you're going to use if you've got older horses or immunosuppressed horses because you don't want... Um, to basically give them a wormer that's going to maybe hit them a bit hard or have an adverse effect. Some horses can have a reaction to, even if the worms have been killed by the wormer, the body can still pick it up as, um, not like a foreign body, but like as an inflammatory response. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up, um, I've recently wormed my horses for their fall worming. And um, after we have a, a good frost, and I usually wait for a couple of those um, frosty mornings to happen. You know, those tapeworms in or cannot be active after that. So I usually go ahead and worm. And I always wonder, okay, when am I in the clear? that everything's okay with them because um, I use the Equimax, which is the um, ivermectin with the Praziquantel, and that's for fall warming. It, it can also be for springtime warming. Once you know that frost isn't going to happen again, you can hit them with that again in the spring. So, um, but anyway, um, you usually give the warmer weight 12 to 24 hours and then you know that warmer's working for the next 12 to 24 hours so anywhere from um, 24 to 72 hours that warmer may be having an effect so you, I kind of watch the horses a little closely during that time and then once yeah, that once passes I'm over okay it says as well, so one part of this study, which was very interesting, was it looked at cortisol testing in the horses. So I mostly we see like a higher worm burden in horses that are more immunosuppressed. And the hypothesis of the paper, which would kind of make general sense, is that, you know, cortisol is a stress hormone. When our stress increases, we tend to be more immunosuppressed. Um, by the same token. So what they did was quite cool. They took um, saliva samples twice a day from these horses, and then they wanted to see if these horses had high fecal egg counts. 
to and compare that to what their level of cortisol was. But they actually found the opposite. So the horses that seem to have a higher cortisol level has a lower fecal egg count. Yep, that was a surprise to me. I was thinking the cortisol would make them less able to fight off the parasite population and it would actually grow, but that's not what they found. So that was really neat because that's why we look into this research. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that just underpins, you know, research is important for us to find these things out because we know information about cortisol. We know information about parasites and immunosuppression and we can make educated links but then we find out that our educated link or our educated guess is actually disproven. Yep, that, that's always a surprise, you know. And I was thinking possibly older horses would be more susceptible to worm burdens because of their age and maybe their immune response and all that. And it was the opposite there too. It's the young horses that are more likely to have a higher parasite burden, which that kind of surprised me too. Yeah. And they, I thought, so I imagined that would be the case in foals. Um, but yeah, I thought that, you know, they would get some form of maternal antibody because horses do build up um, an immune response to worms, which is fascinating too. Yeah, and they they had these horse owners and barn owners complete a questionnaire so they could um, correlate management with what the fecal accounts were telling them. So it, I thought this was a pretty well thought out um, study, but they did find that, yeah, foals and young horses up to the age of three had higher fecal egg counts than the adult and senior horses, which was so interesting. Now, I was assuming the senior horses might be more susceptible, but um, this particular paper, and it was 200 horses from um, the age of one to 31, and this is what their results were. And I think that kind of underpins as well why it's important to, you know, if you're in a position to do your own fecal egg counts and to do them regularly or to get them done and regularly, because we're constantly saying this, but each horse really is an individual. You may think one horse will be more susceptible to another. Some horses will completely surprise you and will just naturally shed more eggs in their fecal count under the exact same management, exact same pasture conditions. So it is definitely worth doing, um, especially when you're trying to develop what your worming protocol should be initially. Yeah, and I think every farm is different, too, because you have, you have different environments and different grasses and different herd dynamics. So um, I think work with your vet to establish what is the best parasite management program for that particular farm and those horses. And remember as well that um, you can ask your vet for advice on this, too. Just because a wormer is expensive doesn't mean it's a good one or that it's going to do the job you need it to do. It's the drug in the wormer that we're looking for. You know, certain times of year, you, year you want to use an ivermectin. Um, certain times of year, you're going to use a fenbendazole. 
And then once a year, you're going to want to use that moxidectin for insisted redworms, but check with your vet before using it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't think I had anything else. I did want to um, say that all these horses were considered low EPGs or um, egg counts under 50. Now, just as a little bit of an example, if they had a hundred egg count per gram, they could be hosting more than 100,000 strongiles. So, and we're only talking strongiles in this research. So, I mean, that's amazing that, you know, you take it times 50 on a McMaster slide. So you had two strongile legs, say, in your count of both chambers. You take that times 50, there you are at that 100. And by just having that amount, it could possibly mean there are 100,000 strongiles in your horse. So parasite control is so important. Um, We shouldn't take anything for granted. I mean, question the fecal egg count question your product. If your horse is not looking right, question that and, you know, get your vet involved in the conversation as well. I think that's well said. I don't think I had anything else to add to this one either. Okay. Well, I thought this was good because it's fall of the year in the United States and UK and then, or autumn, as you guys say, and Mm -hmm. then (laughs) it's uh, the spring of the year down under. So both times you really want to be thinking about war against the parasites. So um, I thought thought this was a good uh, research paper. And then also, Kate, um, you've got uh, some survey to announce. Yes. Speaking of research, um, we have our survey now launched. If you have listened to even just a portion of an episode and you have horses, then you are eligible to take part in the survey. So you don't have to own them, just work with them or basically um, be around them in some capacity. But it will talk you through it as you click into it. We've got some information at the beginning and it really is quick. It takes a couple of minutes to fill out and we would really appreciate if you could fill that out for us. So you'll find it on the Spotify page the anchor page it's now highlighted on instagram um, and i'll continue to share it to the instagram story and it's on facebook it's on twitter it's on nancy and my personal linkedin pages too so we basically want to find out some more information about you guys who are our listeners so that we can determine how well podcasts like this really work in just sharing information and improving welfare minutes to spare we would greatly appreciate if you could fill out that survey for us yeah thank you so much and then uh for next week's show uh we'll be returning to the green room and uh we'll be there at 12 p.m um central standard time and that's 6 p.m gmt right kate yeah 6 p.m. And we'll talk about this controversy going on with the um, donkeys and the boiling of the donkey hides. And uh, I became involved through Brook USA. Kate um, is more involved with the brook.org. Um, 
and uh, donkeys are being stolen in these um, countries where people rely on these animals. They're working animals and they're uh, stealing them and boiling their hides and then selling the resultant liquid as a medication. And it has no use whatsoever in reality. And then to make it worse, Amazon is selling it uh, in their on their pages. So Kate, what was the name of that? I can't say it. I think I'm probably butchering it, but I think they call it <laughs> Ijao. Ijao. I'll, I'll know for next week, certainly, but it's basically the gelatin from the donkey skins. And I mean, look, you know, something does not work as a medication. If you can buy it on Amazon, it Yes. Your medications should come from a pharmacist, a doctor, someone who's qualified to give them. But yeah, this is an absolute shame. It's not only for the suffering that animals are going through, but the people who really in these countries rely on these animals for their livelihood and um, for them as a form of transport. And, you know, people often overlook, you know, transport and to be able to get medical help for their families. So it really is a shame what's happening. If you get a chance, go to the Brook um, or thebrook.org and you can have a read up about it and join the conversation with Nancy and I next week. Yep. And I will put links to the Brook uh, websites and then uh, read up on it. Join us on Green Room. Um, the title, it will be, um, the title will be the Brook um, dot org are, uh, I guess, what could I put donkey uh, abuse or what, what would you say, Kate, what will be our topic for that room or the name of that room? Um, I think, yeah, I think we'll put the brook in it. Um, I'm, I'm terribly uncreative on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell I hadn't thought about it yet, but I think... we'll share, we'll share in advance on social media. So everyone knows what it'll be called. And join us. Um, we'll, we would love to hear your viewpoints because the Brook USA had sent letters and I believe uh, they have 29,000 signatures on their yes. petition to get this product taken off of Amazon. So they're so close to getting they're their just shy of um, 29,000. So yeah, if you do get on to have a read, add your name to that petition as well. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Amazon denied um, them earlier in the year that they would not take that product off of their websites or their shop, you know, shopping sites. So, um, you know, we're just going to talk about it and let people know what's going on. And maybe they can even send a letter on to Amazon to tell them, hey, this isn't right. These people are having their donkeys stolen and a lot of times these donkeys become a part of their family because they're so reliant on them mm -hmm. and uh, anyway we'll talk about it next week on wednesday 12 p.m central standard time 6 p.m gmt and uh, we hope to to get people involved and in to uh, make their comments and then we'll have that recorded so that will be our podcast for next week Brilliant. Looking forward to chatting to some of you then. Okay. Thanks, Kate, for joining in today. And we'll see everyone next week. Take care. Bye-bye.